Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean advocates are Emily Callahan and Amber Jackson. Emily and Amber are the co-founders of Rigs to Reef Exploration, an initiative working to preserve the biodiverse habitats beneath California's offshore oil rigs. Hi, Emily and Amber. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to talk more with you guys. So I want to talk about Rigs to Reef Exploration, this awesome initiative that you guys have started. But I want to first have you guys give our listeners a little bit of background on how you connected, where you met, and because uh, I think it's a really important part of your story and the foundation of how you've managed to accomplish all these great things that you've done together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want, I can start. I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm from a little island off New Hampshire. Um, and I, right after my undergraduate studies, I had the opportunity to go work on the BP oil spill as a field tech. During that time, BP contracted out all the fishermen that had lost their jobs. So we spent a lot of time interfacing with them. And I was very surprised to learn that they were always talking about how excited they were to go fishing on the oil platforms because it seemed kind of counterintuitive to what we were doing, which was cleaning up an oil spill. And that's when I first heard about the Rigs to Reef program, and I heard how successful it was. You know, they've reefed 400 to 500 platforms in the Gulf. So when I went to get my master's degree at Scripps, uh, I found out that California also had a Rigs to Reef program, but none of the platforms had yet been implemented, and that seemed such a stark contrast to what I'd learned about the Gulf. Then uh, I had the opportunity to meet Amber. Um, we met during our scientific diving course together. And I'll let her give you her background as well. Sure. Thanks, Emily. So Amber here. And I started to fall in love with the ocean when I was growing up in Laguna Beach, California. And I took this sort of love for the ocean and took it into my academics, did my undergrad in marine biology at UC Berkeley. And after graduating, I worked with Google in partnership with the Sylvia Earle Alliance on a project called Google Ocean, in which we would take interesting concepts in ocean science and ocean news and communicate them to the public through these widespread media platforms like Google Earth and Google Maps. And through this process, I really became passionate about communicating ocean science and the value of informing the public about a healthy ocean and what that means, what it looks like, and keeping people informed on the science. So when I went to get my master's at Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego, I had the opportunity to work with Emily on a really complicated ocean issue, which is converting offshore oil and gas platforms as reefs. And one of the biggest challenges Emily and I face is that there's a lack of public understanding. People don't know what lies below the surface. And as somebody who's passionate about communicating this value of, of the ocean and of ocean science, Emily and I teamed up to really take on this issue of 
using science with powerful imagery and a meaningful message to change the tide of public perception around this program and show people the ecological and economic benefits of repurposing these structures as reefs. And for each of you, when was the first time that you ever dove beneath an oil rig? Amber, you want to start? Sure, yeah. So my first diving expedition was with Emily and some of Dr. Milton Love's lab at UC Santa Barbara. And we had the opportunity to dive on platform Gina. And approaching this platform from the surface, it's a humongous steel industrial structure, very intimidating. And diving below the surface, I was completely amazed. Every beam and crossbeam was covered in life. You had scallops, anemones, schools of fish. It was a beautiful, colorful world, a stark contrast to what was above the surface. And it opened my eyes. I fell in love immediately with with this very unique ecosystem and have been sort of intrigued by it since. And Emily, was that your first time diving on an oil rig as well? Yes, it was. And it's kind of funny. I've I've been lucky enough to dive almost all around the world. And this was the first diving experience I've ever had like this. And I was a little nervous doing it. You know, it's it doesn't look like a dive site. You know, you're used to tropical reefs or a kelp forest, not something that's, you know, there's cruise ships going up to it. It's an active oil platform. And because we really hadn't seen that much imagery about the program. So it was very exciting. So when you were beneath this oil platform for the first time, did you have cameras with you? We did. We took down GoPros with us. Um, And what was unique about the structure that we got to dive is it's one of the few in California that are relatively shallow. So this one only was about 85 feet. So you can actually go to the base of the oil platform, which you can't in most other areas because they're so deep, some as deep as, you know, 1,800 feet or even deeper. So what was great about this is we got to see the famous California shell mounds. And those are unique to California, kind of as part of the life cycle of the platforms is that all these mussels and scallops at the, the top of the platform, once they die or they're, you know, consumed, the shells fall to the bottom and create these huge shell mounds. Um, and you, they look like they're moving because there's crabs, brittle stars and fish all over them. And they've created these really unique hot spots for um, threatened species of rockfish. So what was really great is that we had our GoPros on this dive and there's sea lions turning flips behind us. We could see the base of the platform moving and it was a really unique opportunity. That sounds really incredible. I myself have actually never dove on an oil rig. So I can only imagine just, I mean, from the amazing photos that you guys put up from those dives, it seriously looks incredible. And so I can see why you went diving on this oil platform and you were a little bit scared and then you went beneath the surface and it was just incredible. I can see why this kind of prompted a longer lasting collaboration. You you started working on kind of a project during your master's together, but you've really continued this on much, much longer after that. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to continue working together on this issue after you graduated with your master's degrees? Sure, yeah. I think that Emily and I both took our prospective jobs when we graduated, and we learned a lot in those jobs. But we also had this side passion, and I think that it 
was something that we just genuinely loved doing and had a genuine interest for. And we decided to continue to move forward with it. And as things do over time, it just developed into something that was much larger than we had ever anticipated that it would be. And, you know, it, we decided to take that challenge and run with it. And Emily and I are close friends. So it's just been a really fun, a fun way to learn a lot about this subject and about being an entrepreneur and starting a business and, and all of that. I think that we've continued to do it because it's been such a fun and inspirational process. That's great. I think being passionate about your work is really what starts and continues any endeavor. Can you guys explain a little bit to our listeners about um, the state law that was passed in California? I think it was like five or six years ago now, the Riggs to Reef law that was passed and why the passing of that law kind of makes what you're doing with Riggs to Reef exploration really topical in the moment. Sure. So the California Riggs to Reef law was passed in 2010 by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was modeled very similar to the one in the Gulf of Mexico. However, there were a few changes to the bill that made it less attractive to reef platforms. One of the first changes being that it was not clear where the liability of the structure would go. Would it go back to the oil companies? Would it go to the state? And for an oil company to reef a platform and have to still take care of it in addition to having liability for the well, it's not very attractive. The oil company itself will always have liability for the well itself, and it's capped in the exact same way as if it was totally decommissioned or if it was reefed. So to take on the additional liability, it wasn't very attractive. And the second way that the law is a little bit different than the one in the Gulf of Mexico is that in the Gulf of Mexico, the donation rate is set. And what I mean by that is reefing a platform, as you might imagine, is much cheaper than completely removing it out of the ground. So half that cost saving is given to the state for a marine preservation endowment fund and to kind of perpetuate the life of the platform should there be any need for insurance costs or if there's any sort of damage to the structure itself. And the other 50% goes back to the oil company stakeholders. And in California, as time goes on, that percentage that goes back to the state increases, which, yes, that's great. We want the state to have a lot of money for this preservation fund. However, that just means that oil companies coming closer and closer to the amount that they would have had to pay to totally decommission a platform. So it makes it infinitely less attractive. But the bill is on the floor right now to have those changes modified, and it would become much more attractive to the oil companies to reef these structures, and that's what we're hoping will happen. To you guys, you know, the experts, why is preserving these habitats, these artificial reefs underneath these oil platforms, once they're decommissioned, why is that important? What's the benefit? I think we see three major benefits. The first one that Emily just touched on, and which I think is really important, is that there's a potential for a huge influx of money to come to the state to fund marine preservation, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and really beef up this part of California's system, the sciences, that's always losing money. So here we have an opportunity to bring in money and refill those coffers. So that's number one. Number two is the ecological benefit. Now, Dr. Melton Love at UC Santa Barbara has been studying the ecological benefits of 
these platforms for nearly 30 years now. And what he's found is that while we continue to degrade our nearshore systems with runoff, pollution, overfishing, fish are moving offshore and finding a refuge on these platforms. They're spawning, breeding, growing to maturity, and using these platforms. In fact, a study that recently came out showed that these platforms are some of the most productive reefs in the world. And that's a really bold statement. So, and it's something that shouldn't be dismissed. So that would be number two. Number three is the potential to enhance ecotourism and repurpose a structure. So here, to actually remove, completely remove the structure, the alternative to reefing, which would be complete removal, would be incredibly destructive to the environment. And so here we have an opportunity to repurpose it and reuse it for the betterment of the environment. And we see that as a really big plus. And when a rig is reefed or when it's decommissioned and it's not fully removed, what actually happens? The whole structure left, what's going on there? The oil companies have a couple options. One option is that they cut off the structure at 85 feet and they can topple it on the side, so right next to the bottom of the platform, or they can topple the whole thing on its side, or they can cut it off at 85 feet and tow the upper section to an alternative reefing site, maybe one that's been designated as needing that sort of hard substrate for coral and reefs to grow on. Or, you know, obviously the other option is to remove the whole thing and tow it to an alternative reefing site. Now that 85 foot number was established, it's a little bit arbitrary, but it was established because there was a concern that the Coast Guard would require a certain depth that the platforms would need to allow for ships to draft over so that they would be able to drive over the platform structure itself and not get tangled up or cause any damage. But it turns out that number is a little bit arbitrary. There isn't a Coast Guard regulation like that. So you really could play with that number a bit if you wanted to make it shallower or deeper. So what techniques in reefing an oil platform have you seen that seem to be most effective and most beneficial for everyone involved? Well, I'd say that one of the things that we see when we look to the Gulf of Mexico is they work not only with the legal structure and the politicians, but they also work with the environmental groups like NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, and they work with local scientists and they talk to them about how they can collaborate and what reef conversion is best for all the stakeholders involved. And so that's something that really needs to be considered. It, it's hard to say what is the best method of re- reefing, whether you tow it in place or cut it down to 85 feet. It's definitely is dependent and should be assessed on a case-by-case basis. In the Gulf of Mexico, they've had so much success with their collaboration between all these stakeholders that they actually had some of their platforms incorporated into the Flower Garden Bank's National Marine Sanctuary. And it's those platforms are now being federally protected because of the biodiversity and life that they contribute to that National Marine Sanctuary. Wow, that's really that's really awesome. Are there any platforms off the coast of California that are close to being decommissioned? I know you said that there have not been any decommissioned platforms yet. Is that something that will be happening soon at all? Yeah, you know, the thing about California's oil platforms is, well, one, they were put in at a time when it seemed that oil offshore was 
limitless. So there wasn't really any sort of plan to take them out. So as it's turned out, especially recently with the drop in oil prices being so extreme that these platforms really aren't producing the way that they had hoped. In fact, a lot of the companies are losing money on them because it costs more to pump out that oil that's not very high quality. It's not the same type of oil you get in the Gulf of Mexico. So they end up just losing money on these platforms. So in a couple studies that have come out, it's looking like the next two to 10 years that we'll start to see these platforms removed. And what's unfortunate in California is we don't have the infrastructure here to recycle these platforms, which means that they need to be cut off, put on a derrick barge, and towed all the way to Southeast Asia. And the problem there is once they get outside of the state boundaries as well as the federal boundaries in the water, then they start burning bunker fuel. And that creates an enormous carbon footprint when you're towing something the size of the Empire State Building all the way to Southeast Asia. So it's an unattractive option for the oil companies to have to tow to Southeast Asia. And I think it would be more of an attractive option for them to be able to allow them to stay here as reefs. Okay. So potentially in the next two to 10 years, we'll be seeing these oil companies kind of making those decisions as to whether to tow their whole oil platforms to Southeast Asia or to potentially reef them. And obviously that's what you two are advocating for the reefing of these platforms. Right. Yes. Cool. So to me, this sounds great. I really love that these reefs are providing a refuge for these animals in the ocean and being an all around great source of revenue and tourism and all these great things for the ocean and parties involved. What opposition have you to or just rigs to reef advocates in general run into? with this type of program? Oh, well, there's definitely been some people who are opposed to the idea. And mainly those concerns are, honestly, they're well-founded because oil and gas has not had a very positive history, especially here in California. When you look back on the 1969 oil spill in Santa Barbara, the most recent pipe burst along um, the highway there, so it's there's been a lot of reason in, to be concerned about oil and gas. And people think, okay, here we have these structures out there. They've come to the end of their useful life. The oil companies are deciding what to do with those structures. And a lot of people just want to see them completely removed because they want any sort of risk of an oil spill completely cast out. And Emily and I... We understand that. We we do not advocate for more drilling. What we say is that, you know what, there is more benefit to leaving these platforms in place than there would be to remove them because of the humongous reefs that are growing below the surface that most people from their beach chair have no idea exist. So what we found is that educating people and talking to them through podcasts like this helped to sort of change the tide of public perception around the Riggs Reef program. And we found that in most cases, when we talk to people and show them through visuals and, and imagery, they understand and start to come around and sort of have a deeper appreciation for these reefs. Correct me if I'm wrong. If a rig is reefed, say it's cut to 85 feet and left there, the oil companies are in charge of the well regardless of if the entire structure is removed or if part of the structure is left as a reef. Is that correct? Yes. So 
I think it's great that you're trying to turn public perception of it through imagery and education because it seems to me like there's potential for oil to come out of that well somehow regardless of whether the platform is kept as a reef or it's completely removed. So it seems to me like it makes a lot of sense to leave these marine ecosystems that are thriving out there for the health of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What support have you received? So you've you and other just advocates for reefing these oil rigs have received some opposition, um, which you said does have some legitimate concerns. But what support have you received from communities at large? Well, it kind of comes through us in a variety of sources. What makes this topic a little bit tricky is that we're not save the whales. So applying for grants, it's really important that we are able to communicate our message effectively because it is sort of a risky option. You know, if you go out and publicly say, you know, we're funding to keep these oil platforms in place, but we're not funding, you know, to save these orca whale pods, it becomes much more difficult to apply for grants, which is why we decided to team up with Mission Blue. Sylvia Earle is in support of the Rigs to Reefs program and being conjoined with her company Mission Blue as fiscal sponsors allows us to apply for grants and it allows us to accept nonprofit donations as well. Um, and that's really important. Just to have the Mission Blue name behind us as well as that support source has been really critical in terms of garnering support from foundations like Patagonia and Scuba Pro to get our mission moving forward. And did you connect with Mission Blue and Sylvia Earle through Amber, your previous work with the Sylvia Earle Foundation? Yes, that's right. So I know you, you know, had worked for them previously. How did your collaboration with them really start? And how did you make the decision to move Rigs to Reef Exploration, which was more of just an initiative that you two started, to actually forming Blue Latitudes LLC, which is the company that you two co-founded together? How did you make that transition and and how did Mission Blue play a part? Sure. Well, Mission Blue played a humongous part because Sylvia Earle is a National Geographic explorer. She is highly revered in the ocean community as a leader. And we wanted to have her support and be able to you know, look to her for mentorship and work with Mission Blue to really secure some grants to move our mission forward. And she had come out publicly in favor of Riggs to Reef before Emily and I started our capstone thesis project when we were in graduate school. And so we already knew that she was in favor of this. There was no convincing that needed to be done. It was more of a here we have this opportunity and we want to partner with Mission Blue and we think it would be a mutually beneficial partnership. So with their support, we've been able to apply for grants through Patagonia and receive sponsorship and donations from groups like National Geographic and Scuba Pro. And in that way, we've been able to build a foundation on which we could start our own company and sort of take that next step forward. And Emily and I have found that at the end of the day, we are looking to make this a for-profit company that works in the sphere of education and research. And so in order to do that, we're using this foundation to create 
relationships out there in this field and begin to develop those into prospective contracts down the line. And so with Blue Latitudes, your your company that you've started in partnership with Mission Blue, what other projects or initiatives are you currently working on besides the Rigs to Reef Exploration Project? Sure. So one of the initiatives that's kind of near and dear to our heart that we're working on is um, a project we have going on called Science CTV. And what the goals of this program are is to be able to communicate ocean science effectively through visuals and also utilizing YouTube. Huge media platform. Every day people are, you know, Googling a variety of different things on YouTube. But when we started going on YouTube and looking up, you know, women in science or diving in a kelp forest, the material on there wasn't educational and there wasn't a lot on there besides women acting as mermaids. And women have so much to offer to the marine science community. And there's also so much to be had in terms of education. You know, and we've also got all this great footage from all of our dives from the Gulf of Mexico to the kelp forest to the Channel Islands. So we viewed this as an opportunity to create a platform that kind of took you through diving on a platform and why that's important. What are the unique elements of a kelp forest or the newest episode that we're working on right now is detailing diving with a GoPro. What sort of settings do you need to use, filters, things like that, to make diving simple and to make anybody can kind of capture what we capture underwater. It's just a matter of learning how to do it. Yeah, I think Science CTV, the, the few episodes that I've seen, is really a great initiative to start to highlight the ocean, to highlight women in marine science, and to highlight diving. Um, you guys have really spectacular footage, like you mentioned. So it seems like science communication is really a fundamental undercurrent of what you do, whether it's from Rigs to Reef or this new program, Science CTV, that you've just launched. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of science communication to you and just to the world in general? Sure. So what's really great about focusing on that topic is that, especially at Scripps, you kind of start to realize there's amazing science going on, you know, from the deepest parts of the ocean to fissures in the earth to the stars, everywhere. Most scientists don't have the ability to communicate that to the public because, yes, they're publishing their work, but the thing is, the public isn't going around and picking up scientific journals and reading those papers. And that's a problem, especially if you want to change the tide of public perception. And it's important if you want to enact change in legislatures. It's critical to be able to communicate that message. And, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like global warming. If that movie hadn't come out from, uh, what's his name? Al Gore. Al Gore. If that movie hadn't come out, the public perception of global warming would be vastly different. The way he communicated that movie was really effective in showing people what global warming really is. And a big part of our master's thesis at Scripps was being able to also communicate that on a variety of topics, whether it's ocean acidification or global warming or sea levels rising or it could really be anything. What's the best way to share this with the public so that they get it, so that you get a bite-sized message, a take-home message, that really resonates with people. There's all this amazing science going on, but you need to be able to share it. That's the most critical part about it. I totally agree. And I think that you communicating your science, like you said, is not only allowing people to 
understand it and understand the importance of it. But I also think through initiatives like Science CTV that you're doing, you're also making science look fun and exciting. You know, you guys always use the term explorers, you know, you're rigs to reef explorers and ocean explorers. In kind of relating a scientist to an explorer, it's making it for, you know, the younger generation. It looks cool. It looks fun because it, it is, you know, being a scientist, getting to dive in all these amazing places or whatever kind of scientist you are. It really is an incredible field to go into. So I, I definitely appreciate that you're not only helping people to understand the science in a more clear way, but also to just get people excited about science and interested in it. Yeah, absolutely. I also wanted to touch a little bit on your social media channels. So you utilize those a lot to promote your message and your initiatives. And I really love in your Instagram bio, it says you're like highlighting the silver linings in our ocean. Can you guys talk a little bit about how and why you keep all of your all the things that you put out on social media, you keep them really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can you comment on how and why you do that? Oh, yeah, for sure. There are enough channels and media sources out there that let us know how much we are polluting, not only the ocean, but this earth. And it's true, we are. It's undeniable that humans are affecting the planet. But the truth is, is that The environment, the earth, the ocean is resilient and it's powerful and there are positive stories to be told. And I think to motivate people to care about the ocean, they have to they have to see that hope and they have to fall in love with it. And so we try to maintain a positive message to instill people with that love and that hope so that they will care and be able to make a difference in their own lives. I think that that is an amazing principle to stand by, and I think you're totally right. There's enough negativity out there. We need to stay positive. So I want to thank you both for creating positive change for the ocean and all that you do. It's really incredible what you've been able to accomplish, and I also want to thank you both for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah. Yeah, and I I am excited for, you know, any future collaborations that happen between us and also any future collaborations or conversations that start between our listeners today and you two if they are inspired to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. So, um for my listeners, I will have links to Emily and Amber's website and their social media channels and their science ctv youtube channel so you can check out all of what they're doing um, learn even more about them and if you were inspired by them their story and what they're doing definitely reach out to them ask them any questions you have or propose some collaboration i'm sure they're interested to hear from you absolutely thanks so much again thank you for being on the podcast and uh thank you for creating positive change for the ocean Thanks so much, Allison. You just heard Emily Callahan and Amber Jackson, co-founders of Rigs to Reef Exploration and Blue Latitudes. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at allisonrandolph.com and tune in to next week's episode 
to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.